Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is tax competition is a feature, not a bug. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With these IPI Policy Basics podcasts, we are building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics. For those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today we're going to talk about why tax competition is a good thing, not a bad thing, and I'm looking forward to the help of our resident scholar, Dr. Beryl Matthews. So, Dr. Matthews, um, there's a there's some chatter going on right now about the Biden administration pushing something called a global minimum tax, mm-hmm. and it got me thinking about the importance of tax competition and why it's a good thing, not a bad thing. And so that's why I thought it would make some sense to talk about this today. Um, you know, in general, in the economy, we think about competition being something that is very important. It's like it's like competition is crucial to the idea of a free market economy, and the reason it's crucial is that it results in good things. Competition results in, you know, every business or industry that's competing with someone, they have to work to be better because they're competing. They're competing for their customers' dollars and for the additional business. So competition tends to drive prices lower. It tends to make service quality better. It tends to make the the quality of goods and services better. It tends to lead to more innovation because if you come up with something new and exciting, you can outcompete your competitors at least for a while. And it also drives greater efficiency. And I think that we sort of know this intuitively, that the more competition there is in a particular business, uh, the better the product and the better results tend to be for consumers. And on the other hand, if you have a monopoly, like I think about the old AT&T telephone monopoly, right, which was a federally government-granted monopoly, and uh, they were not known for innovation during that time. But as soon as the monopoly went away, all of a sudden we had all of these incredible communications and innovations that started just coming out of the woodwork. And not just colored phones that came out and not just the princess phones and the push button phones, but you got cell phones and other things that began to explode. It it may be for, for some younger folks, it may be impossible for them to believe that there was a time where you literally took the phone that AT&T gave you. Right. And, and and I recall, I'm old enough to recall, when every house had one phone, mm-hmm. and it was a black phone, yep. so you could have any color you wanted as long as, as, long it, was as it was black. black. <laughs> and it literally, there was literally a Supreme Court case. Uh, it went all the way to the Supreme Court for, for customers to have the right to attach a device of their own choosing to the AT&T Monopoly telephone network. So, not to go on too much of a of a communications tangent there, but that's a good example of a of a business that had no competition and thus was not known for innovation, low prices, good customer service or anything like that. But what the point we want to make here today is that governments also compete. Nations compete with each other. States compete with each other. Even cities and towns compete with each other. Nations compete, of course, to attract global financial investment from overseas. Uh, They compete to attract human capital, to get the best and brightest people from other countries to come and start businesses in their country. Nations compete in trade to get the best possible deal for their exports and to export as much as possible. And they compete because both human capital and financial capital are mobile because people have choice. They They have their choice about whether to invest in the U.S. or Germany or Japan or Brazil or somewhere else. And people have choice by and large, 
if they want to relocate someplace where they think that their economic prospects or happiness will be better, they can relocate. So because people have choice, because capital is mobile, because financial capital and human capital are both mobile, countries have to compete for it. And poor performing countries will often complain about something called brain drain. They'll say, you know, how can we possibly develop when all our best and the brightest leave and they go to other countries? And so think about like here in the U.S., the sheer number of, you know, doctors, you know, who are from like India or Pakistan, right? And uh, they came here to go to school or they went to school in their native country and then they moved here as soon as they could because they have better economic prospects. So that is literally like the U.S. out competing those countries for human capital for the best and the brightest. I mentioned earlier the states compete as well. Uh, you know, we have this phenomenon. Again, we at IPI are based here in Texas, and so you had this phenomenon where Texas is competing with California and other states to mm-hmm. attract businesses to move here, to move their headquarters here. I think competing very successfully to do that. Yes, indeed. When, when, uh, when Rick Perry was governor of Texas, he was overt about this. He would travel to other states and try to lure businesses to Texas. And it's, it's that kind of competition, not just between nations, but also between states in the United States. And one of the things you mentioned, because you went through how competition helps in a number of areas in the business world, um, just as in the tax world, those who are losing out, those who are inefficient, don't like that competition and try to do what they can to stop it. And so we have, for instance, like Walmart and, and those that are really good at it, they advertise on it. They boast about it. So Walmart says their slogan was always the low price, always. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you didn't have to know anything else about Walmart. You just know that they are going to have lower prices and they may not own everything, but generally speaking, if you want to find the lowest price, you go to Walmart because you're going to get a good price there. And you, you can imagine if companies came together and said, well, let's have a situation where everybody has to charge the same price for bananas or for your house cleaning goods mm-hmm. or for your office products. Uh, Walmart would be opposed to that because they go to great effort to try to make sure they're getting uh, products that a lot of us can get in other places, but they're and others, but they're trying to get that lowest price, and that lures people there because they want that lower price. So they they in essence we vote with our feet by going to Walmart or other discount places like Costco or Sam's Warehouses and so forth in order to get that low price. I think your your uh, price controls example is a is a terrific example of this. You know, we did a whole policy basics podcast on price controls and what's mm-hmm. wrong with them. I don't know if we made the point in that podcast or not that one of the problems with price controls is what you just said. It eliminates competition. Right. Right? I mean, (laughs) if you have a government set price for something like that, then there's no incentive for various companies to try to compete. And, and to try to you know, drive the prices lower or whatever. And if the price is the same everywhere, then I might ask the question, okay, which store is closest to me? Mm-hmm. Which one has the most amenities? If the price is same and somebody's handing out chocolate chip cookies when I walk in, I might go there. Yeah. But if we're competing on prices, then I may drive past those other stores that offer those various amenities in order to get the lowest price. And that's exactly what those who are trying to kill tax competition want to do. They don't want people, they don't want money transferring to other countries because they don't they want to be able to charge high prices, which is in this case high taxes, 
without us being able to escape with our feet. Right. So you mentioned the term tax competition. So let's be let's just be very specific about this. When we talk about tax competition, we're talking about governments that are aware of the tax policies of their neighbors and their competitors, and they at least in part set their own tax policies in awareness of what their what other governments are doing. They don't cooperate or collude with other countries. They try to keep their tax rates lower. And whether that's a country doing it, whether it's a city doing it, whether it's a state doing it, that's tax competition. Too much scorn and derision by those that charge those countries that charge high taxes. So mm-hmm. we've watched this in the European Union now for several years. So you have Ireland, which has one of the lowest tax rates there in the European Union, and some of the other countries that have higher tax rates have tried to go through various kind of mechanisms to force Ireland to raise its rate so that businesses and individuals wouldn't leave France or Germany or other countries in order to go to Ireland where they could get lower taxes. They've been unsuccessful at it so far, but they've tried. Yeah, the EU countries really hate the fact that Ireland undercuts them on taxes. and But it's been very strategic for Ireland because— it, And in point— Ireland loves the fact that they are oh, yeah, undercutting yeah. them. It's been great for Ireland because countries will set up their European business units based in Ireland. Uh, most major U.S. corporations, especially in the software area and pharmaceutical area and things like that, they have their European operations at least legally domiciled in Ireland because it saves them an enormous amount of money. And that's good for Ireland because it attracts all kinds of business and they pay they pay taxes in Ireland instead mm-hmm. of paying taxes in France or something like that. But, you know, the, the EU, they refer to the things like that as tax havens, right? Well, you know, we think of a haven. Haven's a good word. It's a positive <laughs> word. It's like heaven, right? I think of haven as being a good thing. But when they say a tax haven, they mean a bad thing. Right. They don't like the fact that there's tax competition going on with Ireland. And President Donald Trump embraced tax competition when he passed the 2017 tax bill that lowered the corporate income tax rate from 35% down to 21%. That made the U.S. competitive with all these other developed countries, many of which had roughly around the 21% range. In fact, mm-hmm. that the average in the European Union was about 21% at the time. And so all of a sudden, we're now competitive on tax rates. I think it's not too much of an overstatement to say that part of why President Trump was able to get the corporate tax rate lowered was because of tax competition, mm-hmm. right? Was because we were not competitive. And and for, for, for well over 12 or 15 years, the argument had been made in the U.S. that we're no longer competitive on our tax rates with our major competitors. Canada's corporate rate was dramatically lower. In the U.K., they lowered their corporate taxes dramatically. You know, we used to say, I mean, before the Trump tax reform, we used to say, hey, if you were starting a business right now, it would make sense to start it in Vancouver or Toronto or something like that. In fact, I think Bill Gates even came out and said that if he was starting Microsoft now, he would have done it in Vancouver as opposed to in Washington state, just because of the difference in tax policy. And of course, Barack Obama saw companies leaving the U.S. because of tax policy and tried to do his best to penalize them, to create right, a penalty right. uh, in, in which they would, if, if they started doing that, he would penalize them with a patriot tax, I think he called it, or something like that, mm-hmm. to try to keep them onshored in the U.S. But they were simply uh, going along with tax competition. They were looking for those countries that had the most efficient and effective tax rate for them as businesses because they have to compete against 
other companies that had that lower tax rate. It's a great point. The fact that our tax code was not competitive with other countries was the major factor that drove these corporate inversions, right? right? Where U.S. companies would say, we have got to do something to escape this ridiculously high tax rate. So we'll merge with a company that's based in Ireland mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, and we will, we, will, we will have our legal domicile be in Ireland. And suddenly that's, in, in many cases, hundreds of millions of dollars of new profit that just immediately shows up because you're not paying such high U.S. taxes. And while Barack Obama thought this was unpatriotic, the point the businesses were making was these other companies are paying roughly half of the corporate tax rate, maybe a third of the corporate tax rate we're paying. Yeah. And so we have to charge more because of the higher corporate tax rate. That makes us less competitive and less profitable as a business. You know, businesses talk about, we talk about in the private sector like compete or die, you know. And I think the same thing is true of, of countries, except the countries, of course, have this unique power that businesses don't have, which is the force of law, right? So if they can use the stick rather than the carrot. And so this, you're right, this was Obama's approach, was instead of trying to get our tax reform, our tax code competitive, uh, what he wanted to do was basically punish companies right. that tried to leave, you know, with with you know something verging on capital controls. I mean, you know, a country is spiraling down the toilet when they start imposing capital controls, right? And they try to stop people from moving their money out of the country, you know, uh, setting up bank accounts in other countries, or even moving their businesses. And not, when, not that what Obama was doing was capital controls, but it was sort of the thin end of the wedge. And when companies step out and do something innovative to lower the cost to consumers, it either forces other companies to lose out or to come along and do something similar. So Walmart was the first one of the companies out there which said, you know, for an awful lot of generic drugs, we don't get much money anyway, so we're just going to make them free. Yep. Or it's going to be $4 for a generic drug. Mm-hmm. And other uh, other pharmacies said, well, we got to try to compete. So, in fact, most of the pharmacies I go to now either have free generic drugs or very low-priced generic drugs, I think in the neighborhood of 4 or $5 for the, for the copay, and in essence, to try to compete with Walmart. That helped us as consumers. Did it hurt some of the pharmacies? Maybe. I don't know. But as a consumer, I'm fine with that because I got a much lower price. You know, we mentioned earlier this idea that that tax competition doesn't just happen at the national level, but it happens even between states and cities. Right. I think we'll talk about that for a second because it really is true. Um, I can remember, you know, you were talking earlier about about companies sort of bragging, you know, about their lower prices and things like that. I remember a few years ago I was in Illinois, in Chicago, and it's like everywhere I looked, I would see billboards from the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> bragging about how much better things were in Indiana and like overtly saying, you know, move your business to Indiana. And a lot of that was going on. People in Illinois, businesses, small businesses in, in particular, were moving across the border into Indiana just because the regulations were such more sensible, the taxes were lower mm-hmm. and things like that. I think a, a large reason why people are leaving states like New York, New Jersey, and California, and are moving to states like Texas, Tennessee, and Florida, is the fact that Texas, Tennessee, and Florida don't have a state income tax. Right. Taxes are lower. And it's it's not just tax competition. You could also make the case of regulation competition, mm-hmm. yep. which is why Delaware, some years ago, decided we want to be the financial hub of the country, and we're going to make it very attractive for banks to domicile in Delaware. And a lot of banks did because they had lower taxes and 
better regulatory environment, and it worked well for them, and mm-hmm. then banks moved their headquarters there. And, you know, it wasn't that many weeks ago that we got our first inklings of the the new census data from the every 10-year census. Mm-hmm. And you've got those states, those high-tax states, by and large, are losing congressional seats. Right. And Texas, Florida, places like that are gaining congressional seats. And that, that's just sort of a concrete empirical measure of the way that people are mo- are voting with their feet. They're moving to other states who we would say not uncoincidentally have both lower taxes and better economic opportunity. Now, the strange thing is that instead of saying California, Illinois, New York, instead of saying, okay, how can we compete with these others? What they want to do is talk to Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, who says, let's have a uh, a minimum tax globally and essentially they try to they want to do the same thing at the state level in essence they want to have some kind of set higher tax rate set mm-hmm. so that they don't lose people to tax competition that's true at the state level uh, and it's true at the federal level now with Janet Yellen right so we would ask the question then if competition is such a great thing then who doesn't like it mm-hmm. and i think the people that don't like competition right are the losers. They're, they're businesses. <laughs> That's exactly right. They're businesses that, for one reason or another, cannot compete. Uh, they can't innovate. They can't change. They can't transform. They, it's the ones who get, it's the businesses who get harmed by competition who don't like competition. The reasons they can't compete could be multiple. Mm-hmm. That is, they may just be inefficient. They may have bad management. Mm-hmm. But it also may, may be that management is paying themselves so much right. that they can't uh, that they can't compete because they can't they don't have enough money there to be able to do it. So there's a number of reasons why uh, companies and individuals can't comp- and states can't compete. Mm. But it's not just because uh, they're being beat out by some other. It may be for a number of reasons. It may be poor operations on the business or the t- state side, not just because the other is so good. Uh, earlier, when we were talking about all the merits of competition, you could sum them all up by saying essentially competition puts pressure on entities. It right. puts pressure on them to be efficient, to do a good job. Uh, at absent pressure, they probably will not do as good of a job. So businesses that can't businesses that can't compete, they don't like that pressure, and, and eventually they will fail. But it's also the governments that can't compete also don't like tax competition. Right. And just, I, I, I think, because competition in the private sector keeps prices low, quality high, efficiency, and all that sort of thing. But when you have tax competition between governments, they're not exactly known for valuing efficiency, uh, you know, low prices, good right. consumer service. That's Those tend to not be government strengths. And so, Governments and you know who I'd like to derisively call the government class is not just the governments, but sort of all the all the people who feed off of the government. Right? They don't like tax competition because tax competition has the effect between governments of limiting or restraining their taxing and their spending at least more than they would do otherwise. Right? Uh, you know, we look around at governments, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't find many examples of governments who are actually acting very constrained right now when it comes to spending and taxes. But tax competition at least puts constraints on them that otherwise would not be there. So it's always interesting to us from a policy perspective when we see attempts by governments to limit tax competition. And you will see this, you will see this at the state level. 
a few years ago, there was even an effort by some conservatives and free market folks who were very frustrated about the way state governments will give out tax subsidies and tax abatements to businesses to try to attract them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was particularly, I think, when Rick Perry was governor of Texas and he was doing this very overtly. And and you even had some conservative groups who were saying, you know, in the long run, this is this is destructive because all you're doing, you're giving you're 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 letting them pay no taxes for 10 years or whatever, and you're just luring them away. And after all, shouldn't everybody be paying taxes? And so literally there were even some conservative groups who were talking about like a pact or a compact among states that they wouldn't do this, right? Now, I'm not a big fan of tax subsidies and things like that. I think, you know, we would argue that they're probably not a good idea. But the proposed solution to that was to eliminate tax competition. Mm -hmm. It was for the states to collude and to enter into a compact to not offer tax abatements and to not offer tax incentives. This also comes up with this idea of states who will have tax credits for like certain industries, like the movie industry. There are several states, Georgia, Louisiana. Uh, a couple of other notable states, as if Hollywood needed some financial well, help. Well, and and that's the argument, right? I mean, why are you why are you offering you know Hollywood tax breaks? And so there again, there's a lot of conservative, especially some of the state think tanks in some of those states, who say you know we ought to do away with this. Now, they might very well be right on principle that we ought to do away with that, right? That's a political issue within that state for them to solve. But again, the solution ends up being. You know, we want all these states to enter into a compact that they won't do this. Because, of course, you know, Louisiana says if we gave up all of our film credits and subsidies, some other state would come along and poach right. them, right? So if if somebody is going to have this industry, if someone's going to be giving them tax breaks and have this industry, why not let it be us, right, as opposed to somebody else? So the only way to eliminate that is for states to enter into some sort of a compact to say none of us are going to do this. But that has the effect of eliminating tax competition. And I have I have a certain sympathy for if the governor of Texas goes to California and tries to lure Toyota to to Texas, which happened, um, and Toyota says, well, well, look, we'd like to go to Texas, but it's going to cost us, we're going to have to find you uh, a new place to stay. It's gonna, we're going to have to transfer all this. It's going to cost us some money to do that. I'm not opposed to the notion of, we're going to provide you with some funds to help that transition, just as in some cases, companies will say, if you want to, mo- if you'll, we want to hire you, if you're going to move, we'll pay your moving expenses. Yeah. I sort of see that, but that's different than what some states have done. And mm-hmm. so even though I'm, I agree with you, I'm not a big fan of providing a lot of tax breaks out there, though in, in essence of sort of covering some of those expenses makes sense to me. What I would rather them do, generally speaking, is to say, instead of providing all these tax breaks for companies, we're just going to lower our taxes in the state and make yeah, it more right. attractive. Exactly. You know, this is one of those deals where the solution may be worse than the problem, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, yes, on principle, it's probably not a good idea to be selectively handing out tax breaks to certain industries and things like that. But if the solution to that is to eliminate tax competition, mm-hmm. that's probably worse. I think the best but the best recent example of this lately was when Amazon announced that they were taking bids for some new regional headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. And so you you had major urban areas just trying to outbid each other. Oh, we'll do this for you, we'll do that for you, we'll give you all these breaks or whatever. And people looked at that, and especially progressives uh, on the left side of the political spectrum found that to be sort of a disgusting spectacle. But even some folks on the right said, you know, cities shouldn't be doing this. And maybe they're right. But again, if the if the other option is somehow banning competition 
on tax policy and stuff like that, then the solution to that would be way worse, I think, than the original problem. Now, this brings us to sort of the the biggest and, and most concerning effort in recent memory to eliminate tax competition, and that is that the Biden administration, specifically the Biden administration's new Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, is pushing this idea of a global minimum tax. And she is pushing the G20 nations, the industrialized nations, to adopt this. And my understanding is that the next G20 meeting, they're going to be discussing this. And the idea here is to get the major industrialized countries to stop competing with each other on tax policy, or at least to limit how much competition goes on. So when you see people talking about a global minimum tax, this is an arrow aimed right at the heart of tax competition between nations. It's an arrow that is aimed right at the heart of low-tax countries like Ireland and, frankly, countries like the United States. Because if we have if we have competitive business and corporate tax rates and also the, the best legal environment in the world and the best financial services industry in the world, then we have distinct advantages over other countries in luring businesses here that might otherwise be based somewhere else. So this whole idea of a global minimum tax is designed to eliminate or at least reduce the amount of aggressive tax competition that goes on between countries. So what what you saw when they did that, and it's interesting to see how this evolves, because I think their initial proposal was 25% global minimum tax. And that's when Joe Biden wanted to raise the U.S. corporate income tax rate up to 28%. Mm. So it, it, it was an essence of we want to raise it to 28%, so let's move this act this tax up to 25 Now I think in the discussions with them, they've lowered it down to 15% in a, in a hopes of trying to get other countries to sign on board. And then I suspect they would say, if once we get our foot oh, in the yeah. door and we get this once, established. Once you have a structure. We're, we're gonna, that means we can then start trying to bump it up. And mm-hmm. then if we can outvote maybe these other countries that are here and force them to raise theirs as well. Right. So it's interesting to see the machinations going on behind the scenes as they're trying to come up with something. But what it tells me is they know that the reason that companies were leaving the U.S. is because of high U.S. taxes, because they wanted to raise the taxes. They were afraid that they might be losing those companies. And so let's let's do a minimum, a global minimum tax once they realize they couldn't do that. And and now they're talking Democrats are saying, well, maybe 28 percent is too high. Maybe we could go to 25 percent or something like that. Get to get there a little bit, get it started. Uh, they'll lower that uh, global minimum tax down to 15% to try to uh, bring in Ireland and a few others. Mm-hmm. So they know what this, they know the economic impact of this. Yep. And they're just trying to make it happen some way or the other to get their foot in the door so that once they get it done, they can then uh, begin to raise taxes over time. So people like Janet Yellen and um, big government types and progressives who want to spend more money and, t- and tax more. You know, they view tax competition as what they call a race right. to the bottom. Okay. You'll hear this phrase over and over again, a race to the bottom. It's a race I want to win. Well, exactly. <laughs> right. So, you know, what the reason that they're calling it a race to the bottom is they are granting that tax competition has a restraining effect on the growth of government, mm-hmm. on the growth of government spending, and on the growth of taxes. And they don't like restraints on government. 
because they want government to do all the things, right? They've got all these pipe dreams of all these things they want to do, and they know it requires more government spending and it requires more taxes. And so they, they want to eliminate tax competition so that essentially private economic players like businesses and corporations are trapped. There's nowhere they can go mm-hmm. to escape from high taxes, whereas right now they can. Now, if businesses in the private sector got together and had discussions about how we can eliminate competition and eliminate those pressures, uh, we would call that collusion. Mm-hmm. And we would prosecute them criminally because we, in the private sector, we recognize that that is a behavior that is harmful to the economy and it's harmful to consumers. And what would we call it? Anti-competitive That's exactly activities. right. That's exactly right. But yet, literally, that's what you have governments here on, on, a, on a mega macro scale doing. They are colluding with each other to try to eliminate tax competition so that there is nowhere to hide from higher taxes. And to try to force those low tax countries to acquiesce to what they're doing because they, they it will not be successful unless you force all the countries in. That's exactly right. So when they see what they call a race to the bottom, mm-hmm. I see what we call limited government, right? I mean, we believe in limited government. We believe, And the whole purpose in the U.S., at least, of our Constitution is to put limits on what government can do, make it difficult for government to act. Uh, make it hard for government to spend money on things that are not constitutionally authorized and all that. Now, I will grant you, if you look around right now, it doesn't look like there's many restraints on government spending. But the whole idea of limited government is out the window. If you allow countries to essentially collude with each other, eliminate tax competition, eliminate what they call their race to the bottom, that is a recipe for bigger government, more spending, and higher taxes. So what they call a race to the bottom sounds an awful lot to us like limited government. Now, we did a policy basics podcast earlier this year. In fact, it's the January 21st, 2021 episode of IPI Policy Basics. And it's on the topic that the government and the country are not the same thing. And in that policy basics podcast, we make the point that very often what's good for the government is not good for you. Mm -hmm. And I think if people are interested more in sort of drilling down on this idea, because this elimination of tax competition is a great example of that, right? It's what's good for the government and what's good for the government class is not going to be good for you. You'll find much more about tax policy and competition, both in the private sector and in the public sector, at our website at IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also help sponsor these podcasts and make them possible by becoming a member of IPI's New Giving Society. And you can find out more about that on our website. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.